to the Fast Brackets podcast where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show, guys, girls. Today is episode number 70, if you can believe that. Uh, it is the first week of June 2021, and you know, the world keeps getting crazier, but uh, we did have, uh, hopefully we had a good weekend. It was Memorial Day weekend, um, and, I, you know, Memorial Day is a, a chance for us to honor those who have lost their lives defending our great country. And we get a little spun out, I think, in this country about celebrating days that are just completely made up for idiotic reasons. I mean, we don't need a national pizza day, although pizza is always good, and I love pizza. Um, and as a good friend of mine always says, you know, Rex, pizza is a lot like sex. Even when it's not that great, it's still pretty good. And I agree. I agree. Pizza is great, but I don't need a day to celebrate pizza. And I don't need a day to celebrate hamburgers or celebrate wheel wells or wheel bearings or whatever the heck other day is artificially created in order to sell a few more widgets. I don't need that. And I don't have any interest in celebrating months that are designed to focus on things that just came natural to someone or who they were born into, um, like their sexual orientation or their skin color, etc. That's fine. Um, if you're made that way and, you know, we're, we're all born with certain traits, but why exactly are we celebrating that? I have never celebrated, nor have I been proud of something that I didn't have a hand in the performance of. Uh, I've always been proud of my performances, and that's what true pride is, if you think about it. Uh, being proud of something that you have no or little control over is not pride. It's irrational defending of an ideology is what that is. If you are proud of your region where you're born, that, that's really not something you're proud of. What you're proud of is what that region where you're born has accomplished. That's really what you, there's, the, you're proud of the performance of the, of the sacrifice of the toil it took to perform a certain act or accomplish a mission. And that's really what people are proud of. I mean, um, I'm, I'm not proud that I made a team. I'm proud of what the team accomplished. And I'm proud of what my performance on that team did to, to lead to the team's accomplishment. Therefore, I say all that to say this. Most days that we have on our calendar that pop up on our little Outlook page are absolute garbage. They are meaningless, they are ridiculous, and we need to pay zero attention to them whatsoever. However, Memorial Day is extremely important. It is there and we take time off from work to honor those that made the ultimate sacrifice, that performed the greatest act that can be performed. They laid down their life for the good of the country, the greatest experiment that has ever been made economically and socially so that we could continue the experiment. Uh, so hopefully everyone took a little bit of time over the weekend to reflect on those that have Gave, gave a performance that was worth being proud of and worth honoring. We do it the opposite way way too much in society right now where we, you know, it's the participation theory award where you participated, so good for you. You should be proud of that. No, no, not really. That should not be something that we should be overly proud of. We should be proud of the performance of the action that took place and that's exactly what we we're supposed to do over the weekend with Memorial Day. And uh, quite frankly, I'm fearful that we don't do enough of that and we celebrate the wrong things way too much in our society. But uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that our listeners did and that it continues to be a little better topic conversation moving forward. 
That said, um, we have a great show for you today. Guys, girls, it, uh, I have two great guests. First up, Brian Laflamme. He is a top sportsman standout from from uh, the West Coast land, from Division 7, but he's got a bad boy that we're going to talk about. Um, and frankly, I'm going to do something on the show that has never been done before. And truthfully, I'm not sure should be done ever again. So um, it's it's way out of my comfort zone. I'm not sure I like it, but uh, we're going to do it. It's you know it's going to be something we've never ever done on the show before. So hang with us and let me know how you think it turns out. Um, also on the show is going to be Jeff Walls. He's the director of the Verge Motorsports Quick Outlaw Series. That is a really cool series that I'm excited to learn more about. Um, so. Those two guys are coming on, and we're going to talk racing with them. So get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute. Clean the shop. Work on that old heap. But metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on. Get strapped in because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's put this thing in the water box and talk a little bit about what happened over this weekend, which was the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indy 500. Um, Of course, there's a couple things that make this thing worth talking about. First of all, um, it is the center of the motorsports world over Memorial Day weekend. It is the greatest spectacle in racing. They have average speeds of just under 230 miles an hour, very similar to our top sportsmen and top dragster classes. It's akin to them. The only difference is they do it for a 500 straight miles at that speed. So um, a little bit different, but great stuff in general terms. Uh, Similarly, there was really good news for the motorsports world in that the Indy 500 allowed capacity up to, um, I think 50% is what they said. So it was 135,000 fans on the property at uh, the Indianapolis Motorsport uh, Motor Speedway. Um, that's the most fans that have been assembled in the last 18 months in any place in the, in the world at one singular event. And by all accounts, um, you know, it's it's great news for motorsports because it allows uh, us to start getting back to normal. Uh, but by all accounts, uh, the masks were quote unquote required to be worn. Um, and there were signs everywhere from what I'm told. I didn't go to the track myself, but the really the only people that were wearing masks uh, were the IMS workers themselves uh, and the vendors. So, you know, check your local listings um, to see if there's death and destruction uh, on the way in the next, you know, let's call it two weeks. Or if it was absolutely fine if you are a healthy person with good levels of vitamin D in your system and aren't spitting in each other's faces. Um, it, it's really interesting how these rules all shake down that seem nonsensical because they limit capacity, but essentially what they did for this was just put everybody in the stands and they cut out the snake pit in the infield area. So how you know how that made any sense, I have no idea because you took uh, essentially seating away and you put it. So people were pretty close to each other as it stands anyway. So I think in ultimate terms, that is really good for the sport. Um, in that we are getting fans back in the seats and that motorsports is leading the way because it's outside and it is gives us a lot of room to create some social distance that way. So so good for all of us that way. There were a couple of people that I was keeping an eye on. Uh, first of all, Courtney Forces Hubs, otherwise known as Graham Ray Hall, had a great race up until he lost a wheel coming out of the pits. Um, that was Man, that was rough for my man. Um, Otherwise, he was in great shape, uh, ready to make a run for this thing. Uh, But I I don't know exactly what shook down. But, man, as he's coming out of the pits, he just lost that rear uh, driver's side tire. It went flying off, and off he went into the wall. So good for him that he stayed uh, healthy. 
And, and people on the Speedway Indiana will tell you this. They will tell you that you have to honor the Speedway. Um, then it, 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 the Speedway itself wants its pound of flesh before you giving giving it you the honor of conquering it. It's really interesting. It's like it has its own soul. It has its own personality, and you have to honor it for it to grant you wins. So it seems to me that Graham has about hit the limiter in terms of the amount of sacrifices to the IMS gods that he's capable of giving. So I would kind of put my money you know, on him moving forward next year and uh, moving forward as, as someone who is capable of winning and is uh, in position to, given the sacrifices he's given. But again, uh, it has to be tough for Graham Rahal to strap in that thing, go 230 miles an hour for, you know, two and a half, three hours. And when you get home, your wife tells you that she went 100 miles an hour faster than you that day. I mean... That has got to be a rough look. Um, so hang in there, my man. Um, I personally think you are knocking at the door. And Graham, all of Drag Racing World is rooting for you, buddy. So uh, hang in there. Glad you're safe and keep it rolling. Uh, also, you know, if you've been a listener to the show, you know that I was rooting for the Bitcoin car. It made history. It finished in the top eight, which was great for what essentially was a crowdfunded car. Um, you know I was rooting for this. Um, you know that there is no way for the Fed to continue to create trillions of dollars out of thin air and it not to devalue the dollar. So when you talk about sound money, which is Bitcoin, it is there's only one way for that go, and it's to be more valuable, and it allow you to get really rich from it. Um, I would encourage all of you to read a book called The Bitcoin Standard and make yourself a fortune in the easiest way that has ever been able to happen in the history of time. In the next five years, there will be more wealth created in Bitcoin than almost any other way to do it. And it is the easiest investment all of us will ever make. Uh, wealth is about to be transferred in an absolutely huge way. And I am hoping that all of you get in on it and, and make, I don't have any, uh, I don't, you know, I'm not selling anything. I'm just, it's not financial advice. I'm just telling you that uh, it is an easy way for all of us to be able to go racing as much as we possibly want over the next five years. So, um, you know, good luck to all of you after you make your own research and decisions. Um, and then Helio Castroneves ultimately gets the win and, this is great. I mean, he is now a four-time Indy 500 champion. So he ties the likes of A.J. Foyt, Rick Mears, and Al Unser Sr., all with four, and he's 46 years old. So he has a chance and is on pace to become the greatest driver ever in Indy 500 history assuming he doesn't pull a Tiger Woods and decide that the IHOP waitress should be on the menu as well. So here's to Helio just keeping his head down, keeping his head on straight and continued to race like he's capable of doing and being on pace to be the all-time winningest Indy 500 champion. It's like we said, it demands a respect that place demands a pound of flesh in whatever form it wants to take it and elio castroneves has given that um in in huge way so congrats to him for getting it done for the fourth time in history um, i was lucky enough even though i can almost hear the 500 from my house i was able to watch the pdra live stream and then the indy 500 on tv and Man, life was good that day, boys and girls. It was uh, a fun watching both of those races play out in real time. And, you know, life is good. In what can only be described as uh, a tragic event on your host part, I have um, the third Mustang driver in a row on with us now. Um, graciously joining us. He is your former NHRA Top Sportsman National Event winner and 
from Gilbert, Arizona, Brian Laflamme. Brian, how are you today? Outstanding, Rex. Hey, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, an, another Mustang owner. So uh, good times must be ahead. We've had two great ones. And uh, don't screw it up, Brian. Don't screw it up. <laughs> I'll try not. <laughs> hey, um, you know, every time I look at the top of the sheet, I see your name or close to the top. So let's let's go back, though. Talk a little bit about how you got started in drag racing and you know, where did this love of qualifying at the top come from? Well, my, you know, my drag racing career has been, uh, not as long as some of your, uh, other guests you've had on the show, because, uh, I, uh, got the hook way back when, when my brother was, you know, a regional manager for super shops, the old known super shops days. But back then I didn't have the funds to do anything properly. So we just had a couple street cars, uh, little trucks here and there, but decided, uh, I needed to focus on business working um, to create the money so I could enjoy the sport at a better level. It just took longer than I uh, thought, but the bug was set in me from my older brother way back when with, he was into the street racing and drag racing and seen the bad hook. It's a very <laughs> bad hook. It's, it's worse than a drug addiction, I think, because there's no cure for it. There's, there is no cure for the drag racing uh, bug. You're right about that. Um, and, and you're from Arizona originally, is that correct? So my birth certificate does not say that, um, but <laughs> okay. I moved to Arizona before I was one year old. So I would say I'm from Arizona. Okay, gotcha. And you said you waited just a little bit, but um, <laughs> when, did, when did you ultimately dip your toe in the sport and, and what type of uh, vehicle was that? So believe it or not, I, uh, I started building my first race car, having my first race car built in 95, and it was a 65 Ford Falcon. Um, I had raced with some friends that, uh, you know, spent numerous amounts of time and money on a super gas car and then sold that and lost money on it to go faster to build a super comp dragster and lost all, all to go faster. So when I decided to uh, I could afford to do a little bit. I decided I was going to build a pro mod car in 1995, which nice. back then it was more of an exhibition class. Sure. Um, fin finished that car in 99 and proceeded to break every part possible trying <laughs> to figure out how to get a Lenco clutch car with 2,200 plus horsepower down the track. And I knew nothing about four links at the time. I knew nothing about anything except horsepower makes fast ETs, but there's a part in between horsepower and the rear tires that uh, becomes very important. Man. And uh, we failed miserably and broke a lot of stuff um, for about four years. And then I decided uh, my kids were getting older into sports. Um, so I started the Park My program and focus on my kids. Uh, my business was starting to take off um, again at that point. And I kind of parked my program for about nine years um, and then got back into it in two, 2009, 10-ish. I bought a car okay. um, and went straight into Top Sportsman. Gotcha. Yeah, a little, uh, I mean, not much, but a little easier to get the thing planted to the pavement, right? Well, technology and automatic transmissions have come a long way. <laughs> Um, and we started with much lower horsepower, a little 632. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, a much easier to be successful and enjoy uh, um, going down the track. Right, right. Um, and was that uh, was that a Mustang or tell us about that first car? <clears throat> so that was the infamous 63 split window Corvette. Okay, yeah. Earlier in my life, I vowed because uh, when top when pro mod started to become really big, it, almost every car was a '63 Corvette. Sure. And I used to always make comments, "I'm never going to own one of those." <laughs> well, <laughs> never say never. I learned. <laughs> right. So uh, a deal came across on a, a locally built car. Um, I acquired it because the price was right. We put a like I said a '632 naturally aspirated motor in it. Um, and ran that for a while until I decided, you know what, this is a lot of fun. Now, what do we all want to do? Go faster. Pro chargers were, you know, around, but not real big, especially in the West Coast. So uh, 
I knew I was going to buy and order a new car. So I said, let's test the, uh, the package we were thinking about doing, which was a, a, a Hemi with a Procharge EFI. Mm-hmm. So we tested it in that car for a season before I ordered my new car to determine if it was going to be a, a Roots, a Nitrous, or a Centripical. And we decided to go Centripical and then ordered a new car from uh, Jerry Bickle with a Centripical supercharged Hemi in it. Yeah, that's bad. Walk us through walk us through that piece a little bit because I, I've had a chance to put my eyes on it, and it is. Uh, I mean, it's awesome, but it's meticulously clean and detailed, and and it's a beautiful, beautiful machine. Well, thank you. Um, I'm a little OCD sometimes when it comes to uh, cleanliness and uh, making it easy to service and work on. But when I decided to build the car, Bickle had never built a of ground up pro charged car. They had done a couple front halves and a couple, you know, uh, modifications to a pro charge car. So mine was, I believe their very first ground up pro charger car. So it, we, I wasn't sure where the weight distribution was going to be. They weren't really sure where the weight distribution was going to be. So I made sure they put a bunch of weight bar tabs in the back of the car. Hence haven't used one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've since added weight bar tabs in the front of the car. Um, so it's been a learning experience, but uh, I got to take my hat off to the, you know, the fit and finish that, you know, Bickle does with their cars. I feel, I mean, a lot of builders do. I mean, I look at a lot of cars that are really nice, but uh, uh, no particular reason why I chose them to build me a car. Just uh, they've treated me well and that's what I have now. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that, and that car has been good to you. How long have you, been running that uh pro charts hemi in that that car um this is my fourth season um and my wife gets frustrated every off season because i make changes we just kind of get the car figured out that we decide to make changes and she's like why <laughs> well that's kind of the part of me too because ha- ha- you know the other half of my fun is besides driving the car is, is is working on it developing it changing some things looking at stuff um, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's uh, that's the uh, maybe the uh, I'll use the word lightly engineering side sure. of me or design side of me. But um, this is our fourth season. Um, it hasn't changed too much this year. We went to coil on plug, you know, versus mag. But um, we're we're just trying to develop some other packages. We trying some transmissions this year that aren't working out um, features in the trannies and. And again, we're we're also moving to the PDRA side and the more East Coast racing, which is a completely different thing for me. Yeah, well, you know, you, I would say, I mean, I don't know if we have an award for this or not, but you would probably be in the running for um, the most frequent flyer miles of anyone in drag <laughs> racing. I mean, I, I look at the event sometimes and I go, this Gilbert, Arizona is a long way from some of the events that you run on the East coast. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that. Um, you know, just the logistics of doing that. And then the, the desire to want to run on the East coast with, you know, the fastest group, which is that PDRA crew. Yeah. So, you know, there's, I, I have a Joe Rubacek. We, uh, we've been racing together for the last couple of years and we've been both fortunate enough to have a little bit more time, um, to take to travel around. Um, but I, I, I want to race with faster cars. You know, I, this isn't a knock on anything. So I feel, hope people don't take it the wrong way, but you know, when you're racing a fast car, when I have a fast car and you're racing a slower car, you know, let's just say a second slower, a tenth slower, you know, when I'm coming up on them on a thousand feet, you know, what passes through my mind, if something happens to them and they cross center line, it, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, my gap closure speed is very extreme and I, I just, I feel it's not as safe, but also you want to race with better competition. You want to race with faster cars. You want to, you want to be pushed a little bit more and nothing against division, you know, West coast divisions. They're very competitive, very, very good racers. Um, it's just, uh, you know, division three, fours are a little bit faster than, you know, the West coast racing, um, great people out there, um, very competitive racers, but you know, 
I have a fairly fast car and I like to try to race it with other fast cars. And then met Glenn Butcher a couple of years ago. Um, he talked about PDRA and when my time became available to say, you know what, let's go race PDRA for a year. And that was this year. So we're going to miss, we missed Norwalk and we're going to miss, uh, the next race. I think it's Maryland because of vacation and other family, uh, scheduling I had, but then we'll be back and we should, uh, attend the rest of the races. Um, and I'm learning the eighth mile game. It's completely different car setup, and I'm not going to change this car. This is going to be like my quarter mile car. And I'm fortunate enough to have a new car on order that I'm going to specifically make for an eighth mile race car. Okay. Gotcha. And, and to your point, um, I, I would say a couple things. One, I think it's pretty human nature to want to run with cars that are similar to yours. I don't, I don't know why that is. I just think that is human nature. I mean, everybody I talk to kind of has the same thought. So I don't think you're out on a limb there at all. Um, but I am right. curious, because um, you, you made the point, what what type of things are you changing on the new build um, You know, for the eighth mile? Because it, it is those things are as close to ProMod cars at this point as, as you can get, right? Yeah, I'm having a ProMod legal built car um, yeah. with all the safety features, the whole bit put into it. Um, I'm I'm semi committed to the Pro Charger, but I'm I am having it. Um, this the current chassis I have would be very challenging to put a, a, a roots type supercharger on it because it doesn't have a drop dash bar. So this car will be built with all the features to where. You know, I can play with a screw. I can play with a roots. I can stay with a pro charger. Um, but it is a, a legal NHRA pro mod car being built. Okay. Um, 36 inch tires, you know, the, the whole bit, you know, they're a little bit different motor position, but the bigger, the bigger changes for the eighth mile is, is gear ratios, yeah. transmission and rear end gear ratios. That's really what it comes down to. And call me lazy, but when I go between NHRA and PDRA, I don't want to be switching rear end gears and <laughs> trannies every single time. <laughs> right. So, well, you, and, and you I've been do a lot of both. Fortunate enough to be able to have a second car, so no, nah, that's that's great. Um, well, and it, it is so much different. I mean, when you think about trying to bracket race um, in less than three or less than four seconds, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing um, all the stuff that that happens in that time. And and you're right, um, there's enough to think about without thinking about did I make all the the rear gear changes correctly and did did anything. Uh, you know, leave anything out on this changeover process. And, you know, and sometimes it's a week or two in between the, the NHRA stuff and, and the PDRA stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't blame you there um, in terms of having separate programs if, if you can make that work. You know, that's, that's really good. That's, that's interesting. I would guess this is another Mustang as well. It, it is. Yeah, I looked at other bodies um, um, and I just uh, brought myself right back to the Mustang. <laughs> All right. Uh, a little more. It's still a little unique. It's it's not a, you know, it's not as common as some of the other bodies out there. Uh, yeah. But the other problem with the other Rex, the other problem with is, you know, we're we're kind of racing out of a motorhome and a trailer. So because you know we don't have a race shop on the East Coast or anything like that. So when it comes to wanting to make a you know a transmission change and a rear end gear change, could we do it? Sure. But it's got to be done at the track, or you you got to yeah. see if you have someone who's got a shop to make it convenient. And you know, I I, I take it very serious, but it is still my uh, my uh, sabbatical, maybe you should say. Right. Um. So you know, I I'm like I said, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do it and travel a lot of miles, and uh, a lot of my friends think I'm crazy, and but it's that stupid bug, right? It's that hook. <laughs> yeah you can't shake but but it it makes it a little more challenging when you're when you're basically racing out of your rig and living on the road it's not as user-friendly to be able to pull over and when you unload the car in a parking lot and make the changes or you have to get to the track early and scramble to try to make it then you you know you forget to tighten something did you forget to do this yeah so you know like i said i'm fortunate enough to have the time and the resources to be able to race like i'm racing um and to be able to, you know, acquire a second car to, yeah, just that, take take the take the proper one to the proper race, right? Right, right. So speaking of that, then in terms of, um, you know, 
the, even the rest of this year and then going future, um, you're going to run a little more in the PDRA, you think? Is that kind of your plan, or how does how does that work moving forward? Yeah, I think the, I think the plan next next year is 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 focus on all the PDRA races um, and maybe throw in a couple bucket list tracks of NHRA. You know, me and my wife still like to meet the people. You know, we're meeting some fantastic people out there. PDRA has been, you know, for the couple of races we've been to, it's just been great to us. The other racers, you know, it, it's just been nice. It's been pleasant meeting a lot of good people. So, but there's a few NHRA tracks that, bucket tracks that we'll probably skip into next year. You know what I'm saying? But I think we're going to focus on PDRA next year, hundred percent, try to make all eight races. If that's the going to be the schedule next year. And then, you know, one or two, maybe three other races throw in there. It's just this year, me and the wife decided to put a little bit heavier schedule together, which talking to some people, I guess it's not that heavy, but 16 <laughs> races for us is, uh, is heavy, but I'm racing out of Arizona. So I've been on the road, for about nine weeks right now, 10 weeks, I haven't seen my house. So it was nice to see my kids come in. I'm on a vacation right now in Missouri and Lake of the Ozarks. So it was nice to see my uh, adult kids. Um, I fly home on Sunday and I'm looking forward to being home for a couple of weeks. But, you know, when you put 16 races living out of a motor home, it's, it's, it's turning to be a very long trip. Yeah. I can, I can <laughs> imagine. Day. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you, so, you know, uh, if you're going to run the PDRA event, I mean, you've got to uh, plan for just a three days on either side just to travel to those things. So, yeah, it, it makes for a long trip for sure. Yeah, we've met some people that are offering, you know, storing our stuff out here, which will make it nice um, for next year, you know, if all that works out. Um, so we can fly home in between races type of deal and not be on the road as much because, you know, I'm I'm – I think I'm at like 7,200 miles right now in the rig. And I left on, I think March 13th. So it's, um, it's been a little taxing, I guess. And, and the reason we decided to have a little bit race, heavier racer, heavier race schedule this year is because we felt COVID was still kind of lingering out there and, and, you know, global traveling and worldly traveling really wasn't in our cards this year with, the potential lockdowns and restrictions. So we decided, well, let's hit it hard this year, you know, meet a lot of people, see what we want to do for the next year. Um, and then, like I said, back off when I say back off, focus on all PDRA and just take a couple bucket tracks. I think I've never been to Brainerd. Yeah. There's a few tracks I've never been to Bristol. Sure. sure. You know, try to do some bucket tracks races um, next year. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think to your point, I think a lot of people are doing that, right? And we're seeing a little more attendance at drag race events than um, right. maybe we did at the, you know, just because, hey, it's something to do. It's outside. It's fairly safe. Like, let's go. Let's go do something and get out of the house a little bit because we can't travel. So that's good. Right. Um, no, that right. that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> you, had a, you had a topic yesterday. You talked to Cheyenne, your last episode about mirrors in the car. <laughs> yes, I did. He caught me off guard. He caught me off guard, which was it was brilliant what he does, but it it always caught me off guard. I was like, why does that guy have mirrors? Because he's he's always qualified way up front and always chasing. So it, it was really interesting. I have a little different perspective on that. So you know, obviously, I, I'm typically the faster car, but I'm finding out that I'm not the faster car here on the East Coast. Um, <laughs> but I've never had mirrors in my cars from a racing perspective. I've always felt I want to focus on, you know, the groove and the lane and all that stuff mm -hmm. where I feel mirrors in my program where I've been racing is in the shutdown area. Um, Cause I will not cross over a lane. If you know, exit is left and I'm in the right lane, I will not cross over that lane until I know where that racer is at, or I'm being instructed uh -huh. to cross over by a track official. And, a lot of times there's no track officials at these races. So I'll, you know, I'll try to communicate with my, whether it's qualifying or whatever, I'll try to communicate with, you know, my uh, opponent that I'm not crossing over. So until you go by me, I'll stop on the track because I'm not going to make that crossover, but I don't have mirrors. If I had mirrors, it would give me a little bit better visibility to know if it's safe to get over, if something's happening behind me. So I'm contemplating mirrors for that reason. <laughs> and 
not because I'm becoming a slower car and I want to see where my opponent's at, opponent's at because in an eighth mile, it hasn't slowed down for me yet. So things are still happening pretty quick. Sure. Yeah. Now that's, that's a, my perspective on mirrors. That's a great point. Um, and, you know, certainly we see it, you know, probably once a year where somebody gets tangled up uh, in, in the shutdown when they just didn't have to because they're trying to make the turn and, you know, people just communication gets mixed up and that would solve right. some problems. That's, that's a great point. I had never thought of that. And yeah. I, I appreciate you bringing it up. I, I, um, I'm with you. I've never had mirrors on a race car. Uh, I'm going forward, not backwards, but, but, uh, I might have right. to reconsider all that. I might have to reconsider all that for those great reasons that you and, and Cheyenne brought up as well. Right. I just listened to that and I was like, you know what? I never thought about it. And I, you know, there is some safety things when you're back in the car up. If someone's not next to you, you're paying attention. You know, I've heard some some of my friends that have them that their crew member was in the way and facing backwards. And, you know, we've seen them in the mirror and stuff, you know, stuff like that. But, yep. you know, honestly, most people have them for racing, you know. Yep. <laughs> that's, yeah, That's what most people have them for. Um, but when the race is out in front of you, so my philosophy is build a faster car. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Make the race out in front of you. Get races in front of you. You don't need mirrors except for getting off the track or, I guess, back in the car up. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Um, yeah, I mean that that's that's a racer mentality right there. Just just go faster. That'll solve the problem, right? That'll solve the problem. <laughs> go faster. <laughs> <laughs> so someone uh, else goes faster. And then that, you got to go faster. Man, man, the the hook. There it is. There's the hook. Uh, Brian, appreciate your time with us today. Um, wish you well at the re- the rest of the season and and certainly travel safe. My goodness, you. You put on a lot of miles, so uh, yeah, travel safe out there. Guys, girls, Appreciate that it. was uh, the, the great Brian LaFlamme, if you need him. Half track, let's do the half track report, which is brought to you, as you know, by DragRaceLawyer.com for all your high horsepower legal needs, hit up Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com. He has got you covered. He's a drag racer. He knows your mentality and how to help you the best way. He's been very good to me, been very good to other guests and listeners to the show, and he'll be good to you as well. Um, As we go down the race report from last week, there was an NHRA Division I event at Maple Grove. That had um, limited people show up just from a standpoint of it looked like it was going to get rained out. And that's exactly what happened. It was rough kind of weather um, all across the Midwest. Certainly the PDRA dealt with it uh, in Norwalk, Ohio. And then that as it moved east to Maple Grove just didn't allow them to get that done. So they have rescheduled that Division One event to August 28th and 29th. And like many things have happened this year is just that the schedule keeps getting loaded to the back half of the year and uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how some of these races play out because they're going to be back loaded and a lot of action is going to happen in a short amount of time on the back half of this season but uh, what did happen this past weekend was the PDRA event in Norwalk, Ohio they dealt with the rain. Tyler Crossno and the crew, they worked on the track. They were very proactive, I thought, in terms of getting the information out to racers and talk about the schedule. Here's how it's going to shake down. I, I think uh, their model and the way they operate should be modeled uh, a lot of other places. But uh, from a communication standpoint and what they saw in terms of the windows was really good. They ultimately got that done on Sunday. Um, and the turnout, like expected, was really great, even for the rough weather. Um, there were 63, 63 ultimate top sportsman cars that showed up. Uh, of course, 16 of those made the elite top sportsman field. And your number one qualifier in elite top sportsman was John Benoit. He goes a 375-3 at 201 miles an hour. Really just an amazing pass. And your bump spot was Gary Grinnell. He goes a 399.2 to for the 16th spot there. So that's again, it's an another all three-second field in top sportsman. Amazing 
great, great competitors there, and what a great field that is. I mean, uh, all three-second field is just something to be amazed and very proud of that way. Um, your winner was Cheyenne Stanley. He gets the podcast bump, a little karma action he was on last week, comes on the show, goes to Norwalk, gets it done um, in the final against Erica Coleman. We'll, you know, we'll get Erica on uh, the show to even it out for her soon, but there was a great race in the final. Erica Coleman, trip zip on the tree. I mean, a perfect reaction time, but then has troubles down the track. So Cheyenne Stanley wins in his twin turbo Hemi powered 07 Mustang. Um, so good for him. Congrats to Cheyenne. Uh, he was a great guest on the show last week and then gets it done in the final of the Top Sportsman Elite program at Norwalk. On the top dragster side, the elite top dragster was just as gnarly. Your number one qualifier was Craig Addis. He goes 371 with a three at 195 miles an hour. And your bump spot was just not that far behind. Tyson Fabish, he goes 385 with a zero. So you had 16 cars all within 14 hundredths of it. Um, He is you know, getting it done that way. But ultimately in the final, it was Peter Maduri and Michael White who qualified respectively number two and number three, and they met in the final. Uh, Peter Maduri with his K100 fuel treatment car and Michael White with his 57 Chevy themed dragster had themselves a drag race. Peter is a 004 on the tree to Michael's 005, so there a thou separates them at the starting line. And Peter Maduri is nasty, dead on two with his 379 dial for a six thou package total. So all that means is that Michael White has to be perfect. He has to be a dead on zero to win. Not much room there. Um, And he runs a 376 with an eight on his 76 dial. 13 total, very, very good, but it just was not enough to beat Peter Maduri in his sixth thou package for the win. So congrats to Peter Maduri and Michael White for just a great race there in the final um, and the entire uh, elite top dragster event there. Then uh, as we go to the top sportsman 32, the next 32 qualifiers. So we had a great 48 car class there. And then that pushes 15 cars to the bracket bash at this point. So, I mean, that's that's 15 cars that go to the bracket bash. So, um, you know, at least an opportunity to continue moving forward. Your number one qualifier in top sportsman 32 is Bob Bauer Jr. He goes 399 with a three at 180 miles an hour. Uh, man, what a pass to be the number one qualifier there. Your bump spot is Steven Brinegar. He goes 440 with a one, a little bit slower than the Beach Bend 435 spot, but not much slower and you know that pushed Dan Germano out of that field. He goes 440 with a four and doesn't make the top sportsman 32 field. That is rough, man. Uh, that is very rough. But your winner in top sportsman 32 is Nick Maloney over Troy Finner in the final. Troy Finner gets the best appearing car, which is nice, but I know he wanted to get that win. Uh, Nick Maloney gets it done when Troy goes red in the final. So just wanted a little bit too bad for Nick or uh, for Troy. Uh, Congrats to Nick on winning that uh, top sportsman 32 class there. It was a a great class. On the top dragster side, there were 62 total cars trying to make those 48 car field. Uh, That pushed 14 of those dragsters, the bracket bash. So at the PDRA event, even the bracket bash is nasty quick. Um, really makes it fun to watch. Your number one qualifier on the top dragster 32 is Michael Kalen. He goes 385.7. 385.7 to not make the elite field. Uh, just flat out nasty. And um, he will, uh, you know, get the number one qualifier there. Um, Dickie Smith is the bump. And he goes 4.406. Um, to get the to get the bump spot there once again, like Bowling Green, a little bit slower, and also once again the top dragster side 
is a little bit slower than door car side. So that's very, very interesting. Uh, 440 with a six was the bump spot there. 440 with a one is the bump on the door car side. So really interesting. But your winner on this is TG Pascal over my old banking coworker, Shanna Stone. Uh, great bulbs for both of them. but And both go tooth out under for a double breakout win going to TG Pascal by a 10 thousandths of a second. I mean, just what an incredible drag race that was. TG putting himself in great position to make a run at the points championship now with that win. So congrats to all of those competitors for putting on another amazing show in top sportsman and top dragster at the PDRA event in Norwalk, Ohio. Great facility, great event, uh, you know, just top to bottom. What a superb event. We wish we had a little better weather for all that to showcase it, but man, could not keep an, uh, anybody down on that one next week uh the midwest drag racing series is going to go to houston raceway park uh, for their texas tango event and we will bring you all of that uh results and action next week uh when we come back at it for the half track report whoa let's get out of the groove for just one minute and bring on the director of the Verge Motorsports Quick Outlaw Championship Series. Welcome to the show, Jeff Walls. Jeff, how, how are you today, my man? Doing great. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having us on. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I've been kind of watching your series for a while now um, because I just have an affinity for how your series is set up in this uh what I would call non-electronic index racing uh, to begin with. So why don't you tell me a little bit about, uh, tell our listeners, I should say, more about the Virgin Motorsports Quick Outlaw Championship Series. Yeah, so um, the Virgin Quick Outlaw Series, we've got a 470 index. That's historically what we've had for door cars only. Uh, Heads Up Series, 410s, Pro Tree, um as amateur version of professionals you can get <laughs> right we um we've been you know the series has been around since 2014 and you know most recently we added a 450 index this year for the dragster guys and the guys that have maybe both might run have historically run top sportsman and top dragster right gotcha. so um we've uh we traveled to different unique tracks uh every year um we're you know seven races this year for example um from you know mooresville north carolina zini ohio turn around going to bristol next month you know later this month and then we'll uh, go all the way down to silver dollar swing back up through huntsville bowling green and finish out at london kentucky so we make sure we hit a pretty good spread through the region and you know give these guys an option to race heads up index uh without all the throttle stuff right yeah because it's it's 470 and you restrict the 470 index to door cars correct yeah yeah so i mean really and i i I mean i don't know if this is right or wrong this is just kind of how my mind works but i kind of um differentiate cars that are going 470 and quicker into top sportsman cars and you know then cars even like the one i own is not quite going 470 i don't consider that top sportsman until you're at least going 470 so that's a kind of a good break that way um and then similarly i think that 450 index is is a lot what people think of in terms of uh top dragster as well is that how you you guys decided on those numbers or or what's the do we know the history between between uh 470 and 450 or how that index came up yeah so the um when you really look at it like a 470 class um it's just enough of a reach out there for most of the engines that these guys are running whether they're running 598 even 632s a lot of these guys have to do just enough to spray it just to get there um you know so you get all the different power adders involved some guys are running pro chargers and trying to back those down some guys are running uh you know mini blowers or you know a full-size blower on the engine and then you got the nitrous type guys out there running as well there's occasionally some guys that have a big enough engine to try and run it naturally aspirated. Um, 
you know, I'm trying to do that with a 655, but it's right on the brink myself. <laughs> sure. And uh, playing with fuel injection, but you know, the uh, the 450 is kind of just the comparable two tenths quicker equivalent for a dragster for the difference in weight, right? Yeah. And aerodynamics. So um, that two tenths brake is typically a pretty good measurement amongst most. Uh, cars in the eighth mile and it's a it's a it's a good balance there so yeah and and are you i'm, I'm just kind of like, like i said this is kind of the unofficial break in my mind uh, but are you seeing a lot of uh transition from guys that are running top sportsmen and top uh you know running your index because they've run top sports for a while and they're trying it um you know is yeah. that where you're getting a lot of the cars for sure yeah, and, um, you know, you get a spread of guys that try and run quick eights at some of the local tracks and stuff that might have historically sprayed or something. Um, but we are starting to attract um, a decent number of the guys from that top sportsman, top dragster world. Um, you know, you get the 450 index exists in a couple other places. There's a handful of different 470 series that may be track-specific or, or state-specific, but not nothing that travels around like we do. And... You know, we've got, you know, just our runner-up this past weekend at Kill Care, Jeremy Jensen. He's been running super gas, top sportsman type stuff for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've got his attention. David Tatum's run with us already. Um, so a lot of these guys have played with that. Wheatcraft that won this last weekend, he's done a lot of top sportsman racing stuff as well. Sure. So, um, you know, these are the guys that y- you get a different aspect in the event. So you might go out to a – top sportsman top dragster race and there might be 40 guys there vying for 32 spots well we also have an open field so it's an all-run uh full full laddered first round field you know you're at least still have a chance even if you don't have necessarily the quickest car or the most accurate car you're still you're still in there so um you could balance it as an economical version of top sportsman (laughs) yeah and uh, i mean well, a couple things. I mean, I uh, I think it's great because um, you're right. It's an ep- economical version of top sportsman per se. The fans can grasp it very quick. I've said this for years that, man, most fans, it takes them a long time to grasp the concept of bracket racing. Even smart people, it takes them long. It's really easy for a fan to get the concept of index racing quickly, um, and they like it mm-hmm. if there's no throttle stop. But the other thing is you're paying really well. I mean, you guys are having ten thousand uh, dollar pots all the time, right? Yeah, all the races we have for the four seventy guys are ten uh, k to win this year, guaranteed. And we're doing seventy five hundred for our inaugural year on the dragsters. But next year, you know, we'll have that at matching purses, guaranteed all year long. So, um, you know, again, as as a class grows, it makes the opportunity a little bit better. Um, the response has been great for the series this season. You know, we have over 96 people registered members of the series for this year. So, um, lots of competitors, whether they're going to make, you know, two or all seven races, it just depends. Um, you know, we've got a lot of guys interested in coming out to try it with us. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, when you can get paid that guarantee that you're going to make the field, Right. Um, it and it makes and then you can pull out friends and family that maybe aren't as completely tied into the drag racing world and and they can get their hands around. It makes for a, a really nice event. I mean, it makes for really nice from a racer standpoint. Yeah. And, and also from the racer standpoint, you know, the other challenge for these guys that are going to top sportsman, top dragster races, whether they're going to NHRA, IHRA, PDRA, our focus is on not having this exhaustive weekend where you got to park on Tuesday, turn around, qualify. You might even have to qualify Thursday night. No knock on Tyler there for he had to do what he had to do at PDRA this <laughs> right, weekend. Right. But those are challenges that get presented. You know, we, we did everything we could and we keep trying to get the show done in one day. Um, you know, it's a focus for um, the guys that work, you know, they either operate shops or they're forming a, you know, in their jobs, they might own a business that they actually have to be there for, you know, we all got to get back, do work. So we need to get it in, get it done. And, and that's how our race formats are set up. Yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, well, and, you know, you've got this great series here and we'll talk a little bit about what you have 
going on for next year even already in a minute. But talk to us a little bit about you. How did you get involved with this and and tell us your background a little bit? Um, so I've been uh, drag racing since I was eight and uh, my family even farther back in sprint cars back in California and stuff with my father. But when we got involved in drag racing, uh, one of my good buddies, Dustin Martin, that uh, I raced juniors with back then, let me know he was racing in this series. And uh, he said he enjoyed it a lot. It was a lot easier to deal with than what I was doing with Supercom, Supergas, chasing, driving around regionally, trying to take full weeks off at a time Mm -hmm. from work. Uh, So I came out to one of the events, uh, checked it out ended up getting my car set up, started trying to run it with him. And then, um, the opportunity came up to try and help out grow the series. And so teamed up with, uh, Ashley Pridget who founded the series and, uh, my buddy, Joseph Bagwell and I, you know, kind of started a transition with her to take, take control of this and get it to grow. She's still heavily involved her and her sister in, in helping the success of the series. And, um, you know, we're taking it to the next level this year. Yeah, that's that's very cool. So I mean, you're you're a racer. You get it. You understand what is going to make it successful from a racer standpoint. And and now you can you know Ashley did a great job of kind of founding the thing, and now you're taking it to the next level. So talk to us a little bit about what is the next level because I know you have some big plans for this thing. Yeah, I, it's um, <laughs> we expected part of that to happen this year, um, but time gets away from you when uh, things are being put together so quickly. Um, but we have um, our Bowling Green event this year is actually going to be on national TV during the Low Car Car Show series. Um, we're going to, during the fourth quarter, a recap filming of our event will be on national TV then. And then we're going to have our own full series for 2022 that uh, will air on Motor Trend, uh, Mav TV, and Revan, and some other streaming sites. So uh, we're pretty pretty excited about it. Um, it'll be a big growth. The group, uh, Butch McCall and uh, Sherry McCall, that were also involved heavily in uh, inside drag racing back in the day, are going to be the ones uh, heading up getting that together with us and, and getting that on TV. So a um, lot of growth opportunity for us with that. Uh, bring sportsmanship back to the uh, to the. I guess the screen's at home, not necessarily the big screen. <laughs> right. But uh, we'll get it back in front of everyone. Yeah? Well, I, I will tell you this. Hey, it just made me furious. So I I was at a Indy 500 party this weekend, and, you know, there's a TV mm-hmm. on, you know, kind of at the, the cookout. And on TV was uh, Monopoly. It was Famous people playing Monopoly. And it just drove me crazy. I was like, what are we doing? Where are we at in the world where uh, people playing Monopoly is somehow worthy of being on TV and drag racing isn't? So you've kind of warmed my soul a little bit here today, telling me that, hey, there's going to be more drag racing on TV. I, I couldn't be more excited for that. Yeah, and we're gonna, and it's going to be formatted so that you guys can actually watch it. So... Those of you guys out there that are actually racing on the weekends yourself, how hard is it to be at a racetrack and also keep up with what NHRA is putting on TV live or you're driving home for an event, whatever that may be. Now our whole series will be aired in the uh, winter uh, following the season. And, you know, you'll be able to follow what the teams are doing and what, you know, how the championship progresses that way. Even though the results are there, you get to watch the action, check it out, see, see what all is put together. So, um, you know, I think it'll be a better, better calling for drag racing overall because we're getting it out in front of everybody when people are actually at home in front of the TV. Gotcha. And it also gives, uh, the racers, assuming that they have a sponsor, maybe that, you know, would like more exposure. It allows them to, um, give some heads up and say, Hey, this is, this is what's going on. I did well this weekend and here's when it airs and, you know, uh, pump that out a little bit as well. I'm guessing. I mean, from a sponsor yeah. standpoint, that's got to be good. That's got to be good stuff, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, there's a piece of that that helps the series generate uh, the growth that it needs to help support what we're trying to do for the racers and and provide for those purses. But, yeah, definitely for the racers. You know, these guys have to to make it to the racetrack, but, you know, get what they need to, I don't know, fund that trip across the country. You know, we have a couple guys that maybe can't make it for this one or that one just because fuel's high this week. Oh. 
you know, right. maybe they can grab a local sponsor or two that can get out in front of a lot more. Right. Yeah. And, so. and to that point, I mean, you guys have a nice geographic area. I mean, you guys go, uh, North Carolina, um, to, you know, Bowling Green, Kentucky to, uh, Ohio, you know, you've got a nice, uh, patch there, certainly where cars are, but, but it takes a little bit to travel, right? It takes a little bit to travel. So of course we're going to try to rope yep. in sponsors for that. Exactly. And, you know, when you see a lot of these races out there that are, you know, two or three grand to win, you know, and one person's taking that whole purse, it's small format. That's tough. I mean, that, that's tough to go week after week and know, hey, you know, out of 100 competitors, you know, 10 different people, maybe one all season long. Um, yeah, we all know we have the bad habit, but sometimes it's nice to be part of the winning side of it, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, well, I'm really rooting for you guys. I'm really rooting for you guys because I, 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 I've been – people that know me have known me for a long time. I've, I've been banging on this for a long time, and I think index racing in general is really good for our sport. Um, I used to run that NHRA Unleashed series, and I thought it was uh, it was really good for our sport. Maybe that didn't quite work, but I think your series is um, – is good in general for our sport in terms of bringing the casual fan and, and like you said with the stuff with the tv and all the one day uh, event all that stuff is really really good and positive stuff and i i couldn't wish you more luck than than what i'm doing i appreciate it man we, we appreciate the support and uh we'll speed your car up a little bit faster and get you out there with us that's that's all we need to do baby that's all we need to do we need a little more horsepower <laughs> and uh and i'll be right out there with you so uh, yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Maybe the best idea that's ever been thrown out here on the show so far. So, uh, yeah, Jeff, nicely done. Um, all right, well, for our for our listeners, um, if they're if they're intrigued now, how do they get a hold of you? How do they get a hold of the series? Um, VergeMotorsports.com. Uh, that's our home site on the website, and you can also find us on the uh, you know Verge Motorsports 450 470 Quick Outlaw series on Facebook. Um, all of our events flyers are posted at both places results. Um, you know, we got some pretty cool stuff out there that people can check out t-shirts and all that as well. Um, but yeah, you know, vergemotorsports.com. That's, that's the home for it. Okay, great. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Go guys, check that out because, um, it's a really well done series and, and if it comes in your neighborhood or you want to just go check it out, go, go, uh, go get that done. Um, guys, girls, that was uh, Jeff Walls, the director of the Verge Motorsports Quick Outlaw Championship Series, if you need it. As we hit the mile per hour cone, we're going to talk about an event that happened at Bowling Green, Kentucky, Beach Bend Raceway. In the NHRA Division Three Super Quick event that was held there this past weekend, really great stuff. It uh, as uh, we kind of talked about before when Jeff Walls came on, it was uh, a 450 uh, minimum or maximum dial in terms of that. I can't go any faster than 450. It is a 32 car field, and it was the fastest field ever for that series there were 49 cars looking to make that 32 car field and there was a new record it went the bump spot was a 454 with a three so all 32 cars were qualified within 400 of a second which is made for great great racing in addition that race particular was dedicated to james shown he is a very well-respected, longtime super quick racer uh, who passed away over the last year. And it was, I think, an absolute perfect send-off as he you know, would have just absolutely loved this bump and the quality of racers in this field. His daughter, Shanna Miller, qualified in that field, making it extra special. Uh, but it was, like I said, a new record for that series. It was a 454 with a 3 32 cars qualified in there. Your number one qualifier was Phil Oakley. He goes 450 with a one at 145 miles an hour. And there were 10 drivers that recorded a 450 with a something on the end of it. So just a, a tremendous field that way. I mean, some really quality guys in this field. So uh, pro stock champ, 
Bo Butner makes that field. Kyle Camp is in that field. He is the only door car that I'm aware of in that whole field. Uh, but he kind of goes and does battle with those dragsters. So, you know, we root for him. Um, and then your winner is ultimately Hunter Patton. Uh, my man, already one of the great bracket racers of our time and does it in this fast field as well. So maybe we'll see him in top dragster trim at some point. But uh, Hunter Patton gets that win in what is virtually a heads-up index race. I mean, uh, everybody qualified so closely together that, uh, man, it, it makes almost every race heads up. Very, very cool that way. So that's another great class, that super quick series um, with the Division Three origin, uh, but a class that is like ours, and it's extremely fun to watch, and one that continues to have a tremendous racer response. So congrats to all those racers who competed in and made that event so special. Nicely done in Bowling Green, Kentucky over the weekend. All right, let's bring this thing back in. You know what? Let's not even take a peek. Let's just keep this in the groove and take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 70. There it is. There's the wind light. Heck yeah, it is. And Gloria. Oh, the sweet, sweet sound of Laura Brannigan. That a girl. Uh, guys, girls, we had a great week this week. We talked Indy 500. We talked the Super Quick Series. We got down with the latest race results. And we had two great guests on. Really, we did. Brian LaFlam was awesome talking about his Mustang. Wow. Can't believe that. Um, which was awesome. Um, and he was just a great guest that way. Um, Jeff Walls came on, the director of the Verge Motorsports Quick Outlaw Series. Another great conversation there. Um, so really another outstanding show with those in terms of guests, man. Really good. If you have comments, questions, or curse words, you know there are three ways to get at me. First of all, you can hit the Facebook page using Messenger. Secondly, you can probably see me sniffing around a Mustang uh, build site somewhere. And you can use the email fastbrackets at outlook.com. Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. chance we're going to be able to handle all the phone calls we're going to get for all the drivers that if every time they come on to the show the next weekend they win or do you think that the secret is just go faster um yes all of the above i think i mean cheyenne comes on the show wins i mean if brian if brian laflam comes on wins next time out we won't be able to handle all the requests of people wanting to come on the show uh but to your point the answer is always go faster.